The thing that we've talked about so much on this podcast is like everyone just codified all of B2B marketing into these playbooks. Then everyone's operating out of the same B2B marketing playbooks and it all looks the same and nobody has the audacity to do anything different because you gotta build the correct thing that's gonna work. And so if you're willing to break the mold, if you're willing to be slightly different, it's also really helpful in marketing when everything looks the same for you to be an audacious marketer. I'm Margaret Kelsey. And I'm Devin Bramhill. And this is Don't Say Content. And shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. They're great at creating shows with strategic outcomes in mind. They've been with us since the podcast was just an idea, and they helped us bring it to life from strategy all the way to execution. And we absolutely love partnering with them. So if you, dear listeners, are thinking of launching a podcast, which you definitely should, by the way, we recommend having a conversation with our favorite people over at Share Your Genius. Now let's get into it. I love LinkedIn drama so much. I don't want to be a part of it, but I definitely want to consume it. That's good content right there. So my friend works in the identity community and she came across a post from a former sales lead at Okta who posted very publicly how upset he was about being laid off. It seems like he is a solutions engineer. I should have known that because part of his post included a console.log meta statement. Like he used code and he literally in the beginning is like, this is usually where people take the high road after layoffs. And he's like, I'm not one of those people. I don't believe in that boomer logic. He says something that like, I wouldn't feel as safe being able to say, and this guy just said it. He said, Okta has become so toxic in the past. I'm happy to say goodbye. Having to endure an onslaught of biased favoritism, nepotism, misogynist male leaders and roles of senior managers, directors, VPs, public casual racism, and a general lack of career development, and little to no opportunities to grow and learn. He called them out. And then he does one more thing, which was the really career ending thing that absolutely will not ruin his career because I think he was actually like brought in a lot of money there. He said, if you have money, then you should short Okta's stock and buy because that stock isn't going up anytime soon. And then he tagged the CEO. So this episode's about audacity. <laughs> in case you were wondering what we were going to talk about today, that's a lot of audacity. You want to know what's more audacious? I didn't read you the whole post. There are two separate paragraphs where he's like, so I'm telling you I'm open for work. And then right before he says that last final like Doug Hole jumped in it statement, he's like, so if you're a recruiter, like DM me. He's like, wait, you are publicly not just complaining. If you fire me, I will do this for your company too. Yeah, exactly. Like he's telling people to short the stock. This guy just laid it all out there. And it was audacious, the most audacious thing I've seen and something I've probably wanted to do in the past, but thought better of in my career. And I'm glad I did not. Well, I think that's a great question, right? I think as we're diving into this topic of audacity that came up earlier this week when you and I were just on like a friend catch up call, right? And I told you that that's my word to lean into in 2024. And I think that to me, it's something that I can maybe not go full blown this guy. 
But I think that my relationship with audacity in the past has been complicated. So I wonder what's been your relationship with audacity over your career and even recently? I feel like I've had a lot of it in my life. Not necessarily because it was a purpose of mine. So I was talking to my friend Sarah Parker today. She was giving me some advice on launching a newsletter for myself. And one of the questions she was asking me was around my unique style of writing and other things to explore my point of view. And I realized for the most part, I don't want to say and do things that I don't want to do. And I don't believe in any one thing or one point of view or one process or perspective so deeply that I want to do it in that exact way. Oh, I think she was saying like, look at what other people are doing, but try not to copy them, obviously. And I was like, I don't think even if I tried, I would be able to copy someone. And so I think that is how like my approach to my career is like, I've made myself really uncomfortable my whole career. And that is what has gotten me here. There were some audacious moments in there, including like telling the CEO of my company that I wanted his job one day. And like, I was going to say the the ability for you to get into that CEO role came with some audacity. You're like, I've never done this before. I came up through content marketing, which is not usually the path for a CEO, albeit a content marketing agency. So it helped. But like, that's a lot of audacity to be like, I want that. Yeah. And I think it's like some of it comes naturally and some of it you need to drum up. You need your friends to kind of help you get there. So like Allie was really good at getting me to share the fundraiser when I was six. I was too afraid to do it. Right. Like you've helped me say things on the podcast that I was not sure that I could say. And like, but I'm realizing, especially after cancer, that why not? There's absolutely no reason why not. Living and dying has never come closer to my reality before. And I'm like, oh, if I didn't give any fucks before, I can't even define the word anymore. And I think that's really helping me like put myself out there in ways I wasn't able to do before. And I think there's a lot of audacity in that. Like, I'm asking for favors left and right. I'm like, will you promote me and just connecting with people I don't even know? And I'm just like, hey, you want to, you know, whatever. So for you, because this is a thing that you chose. So I'd love to know what your thought process was in getting there and like the impetus and like, how is it going? (laughs) Oh, God. Loaded question. So when I left OpenView and I started my own company to advise. I did the big deep work of not only like the company brand, my own personal brand, but like also just like soul searching, like what are the things that I care about? What are the values? And I can probably even pull them up if I have them somewhere too over what they used to look like. So I did this big vision, right? I did like a 10-year vision. I did my mission that I care about, my values. And so a big thing here was like the values that I care about are maybe boring in one note, right? It was like curiosity and learning that leads to creativity, personal growth that leads to finding wisdom, balance that leads to inner harmony. Like all of those ones are a little like, okay, snooze test. And then this year I was like, something's missing. It's something that I've had seen myself leaning into over the last year. And I was like, there's some part of these values that are too sleepy for what I'm actually doing. What is that thing that I'm practicing, right? And I thought about it the other day where somebody had said something about like, oh, it must be scary to like have the audacity. And I was like, I think that's the best compliment in the world. I want to be known as somebody that like somebody looks at and is like, how does she have the audacity to ask for that, to do that, to live that way, to like 
have that career to like get in that meeting. Like, oh my gosh, I actually see that as such a, not a scary thing, but something that if I was complimented on my audacity or even somebody mentioned audacity in relation to me, I think I would be pretty jazzed up. And so then I specifically tagged it on to all of my vision goal work for 2024. I was like, I just want to be able to have the audacity. I had lunch with a former coworker who brought me into an organization and I thanked her because I was like, I didn't see myself the way that you saw me when you were interviewing for this role and then brought me in and kind of launched me on my career. Like I wouldn't have seen that for myself. And you were like, yeah, you belong in this room. Like, yeah, you can be in that meeting. Hey, yeah, like go talk to that person. And I was like, to your point, sometimes you need somebody else to recognize that you can do the thing or be in the place. And the only thing that's holding you back is your own lack of audacity. Yeah, I love that. So I have more questions because we're friends and we have so much in common. Like you say audacity and I'm like, I get it. And I inherently know what you mean. But as I've been thinking about being more audacious in my own ways, as I like come back out into the world, like, where do you start? Because like, again, I have it in me. I just like showed up in the world and started like, you know, whatever. Yeah. You're like this world for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I fought a lot more than I probably needed to because I couldn't help myself. So But if you don't have that in you already, you're thinking about like, what does audacity, not like the dictionary definition, but like, what does it mean? And let's narrow it down to career since that's the world we operate in and will help us narrow down the definitions. Thank God that we're going to talk about it in careers. Yeah. So it's like, what does that mean? And how do you get started? Like you knew how you wanted to be audacious more, but it's like, what if you want to be audacious, but you're not really sure what it means and you don't know how to begin using it in your life? Yeah. I think at the beginning part, the thing that stops us from being audacious is cringe. Like we don't want to be cringy. So like like sales outreach or like asking for people for things. You're posting on LinkedIn or having a podcast or like thinking that you have a differentiated point of view that's worth being heard in the world. There's a piece of it where I think that what stops us is this idea of like, oh, I'm going to be cringy. If I ask for that thing and I don't get it, that's like, it's cringy. It's embarrassing whatever it is. And I think audacity is this idea of like, I will be okay whether or not I get that thing that I'm going to ask for. So there is some sense of confidence or personal boundaries of like, it's I'm not going to be rocked whether or not I get this thing. But like, what's the worst thing that happens if I post that video or if I jump into that conversation or if I go introduce myself to that person or if I ask them to do something for me, right? The idea is like, I will be fine whether or not I get it. But like, I'm not going to get it unless I do it like a kind of bravery. You're like, I'm afraid to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, maybe it even goes back to middle school when you start to have friends or frenemies, enemies start to be like, oh, that's cringy or like that's weird or whatever it is. Like I could go back even to that part of our own psyche building. But I think specifically for me, there does seem to be like an inverse relationship between cringe or the feeling of cringe and the feeling of being confident enough to have the audacity. Yeah. You know, it's funny. One thing that you just made me think of when you talked about middle school is I apparently have this reputation for like knowing what I'm doing. Literally, a friend of mine said that today. He's like, well, you know what you're doing, so you're going to be fine. I'm like, uh, what? I didn't grow up in a standard structure. I didn't grow up going through all the levels of high school. I didn't have a framework to work from, which made me really self-conscious for most of my life, by the way. Because I thought everyone knew something I didn't, and it turned out I had the better deal. But because of that, I kind of went at everything without knowing anything and just like, I don't know, figured it out. Tried it. Yeah, exactly. 
And I think that gave me an air of knowing what I'm doing. And I was like terrified the whole time and self-conscious. And once I started networking with other CEOs when I was at Animals, I saw that that's still true. That like that top dog, once you become top dog, you're not like suddenly smarter. You're like the same old person that just has a title. Yep. (laughs) And it was really comforting for me. And I think that reminding yourself that the people that you see as audacious or that you want to be like, they don't know what the fuck they're doing anyway. They have a sheen like me where they're just doing it because why not? Well, that's the worst that could happen, right? And maybe using that to like muster up some bravery to do it yourself. The polish is just good writing or it's not because they have any more knowledge than you. So like go out and share with you. Or emotional regulation. Like in person, I think polish or like quote unquote executive presence comes from just emotional regulation, right? Like you get bad news at a company and they're like, oh, wow, she has so much executive presence. It didn't even rock her. It's just like, no, you just know how to regulate your emotions, right? I think like somebody should honestly just replace that in all of the HR rubrics of executive presence is just emotional regulation. Unflappability is just like can breathe through your own cortisol levels. <laughs> yeah. It's the this is fine meme with the fires all around them. So but like seriously, though, and I don't mean to get so brass tacks, but like because this concept feels really amorphous to me and I feel like I can only understand it inside me. I have a hard time verbalizing it. I like I'm interested in getting in the weeds a little bit like for you. Right. It's not that you've never been audacious before, but you're making this a focus. I was accidentally audacious in the past. (laughs) So like, how do you purposefully incorporate audacity in your life where it wasn't a consistent thing already? Yeah. It sounds so silly, but a piece of it is naming the fact that that's what I'm working on this year and then telling people that. And so I think that part of it is like letting your network, your community, your support system know hey, this is the thing that I'm trying to work on. And so if I'm not doing that, if I'm asking you for advice and I'm taking the less audacious option as like my first choice that I'm trying to talk you into, I need you to talk me out of it, right? Because that's something that I want to work on. But the other piece is like, it is to your point of confidence building is baby steps. When you were a kid being homeschooled, you weren't like, I'm going to be CEO of a company one day. You only got there once you had the other steps that you were then able to like step in. Maybe you did. I don't know if you're. I said I was going to be queen of the world. Like similar. No joke. I wrote a poem about it. I was going to take over the world and make a bunch of candy stores. I don't know. You still got time. Yeah. You still got time. Queen of the world. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So you had it in you all along. But I think for me too, it was like there were baby steps of audacity before probably midway through my time at OpenView, I never thought that I would leave a in-house job. I remember having a conversation with my two friends who are like really cool internet entrepreneurs and they have been since 12 years when like the internet was a different place. And I went out and stayed with them in California back when I first started at Envision and they were living in a house. It was like this McMansion and it was like split And they had another entrepreneurial couple living in the house too on like the different wings. There was like a house split into two wings and they like shared it. And it had this like cool grotto pool in the back. Like it was amazing. It was like a dot-com like millionaire's house that was they were renting out. And I remember we all sat around at dinner and I'm the only one with like a in-house job. They're all just like doing their own shit. And I was like, at the time it made so much sense. And I was like, I need the safety. I need the security. 
I want the predictability. Like those are the things that are important in my own decision-making framework right now. And I looked at them and this is 10 years ago. And I was like, I don't know if I could ever do what they did. And so it was like pieces of it were like I needed enough confidence that I had a differentiated point of view in marketing, that I was able to like get customers, clients, that people like liked to talk to me about this topic and would actually pay me for it. And it was like baby steps of building towards that. And when I left OpenView, I didn't have any client signed on. But within the first month of leaving, I had replaced my OpenView salary, which is not a brag. It's just to say, like, I leapt into the audaciousness of this building my own company and going solo. And thankfully, <laughs> I like was met with open arms. You're proud of your accomplishments because you did a hard thing. It wasn't easy for you. It's not like, oh, look at I, you know. I will never do this, right? Like a hard thing that I had categorically said, that's not my path in life, which I have to be very careful about is what I've realized is anytime I say that I categorically will never do something or something is not for me, the universe has a funny way of being like, really? Really? All right. Well, it's like, give me six months and you'll change your tune. So I'm very careful now to say that like I will never do something or something's not for me. Yeah, because somehow it will come up again. Yeah, you know, it's funny going out on my own and starting this podcast were two things that catapulted me. I don't want to say forced because I chose them and which means I was choosing like new experiences, but they really catapulted me into new forms of audacity. Like I'd marketed companies my whole life and that one step removed felt safe, which I didn't even realize until I was trying to promote the podcast. And I was like asking my friends to share it. Like when people would text me praise, I'm like, can you please put that on the podcast feed? And so like, I appreciate it, but like put it where it counts. Okay. <laughs> Stuff like that, where I felt like I was asking people to go above and beyond and really promoting something that was in part me and pitching myself as a business and like kind of having to figure it out on the fly because at first I didn't have to, like, I wasn't really pitching. Actually, a perfect example of this is like going and building a business of my own by itself. I'd freelanced before and consulted before, but this was my first time making a thing out of it and saying, this is a thing that I do. That took a lot of bravery. And you remember I was asking you for a lot of support and literal tactical help. And I was smart about the way I made the announcement and how I made it. It was like a borderline pitch. And I got a ton of inbound work that I didn't really have to try hard to land. And so there was like, a whole bunch of audacity, a whole bunch of risk taking and bravery and all this stuff that was rewarded. Then the next phase of it came where I took a break and I was really having to define further, like, who am I as a consultant? Like, what are my services specifically? And get really clear on that, which you saw me suffer through all summer. And then actually going out and asking for work, like looking back, I was leaning on what felt safe to me, which was a more content-driven approach. And that just doesn't work. Content is, as much as it can be a demand gen tool, eventually, yeah, it's initially kind of a brand thing. So like a ton of people loved me. It was great. I was like building up a network of people who thought I was the cat's meow, but it wasn't landing me any work because I wasn't making the ask. I wasn't like, I do this, hire me. And so I realized like, oh, I need to take this a step further. I need to go more into discomfort to start to really like build my business truly and have a lasting sort of pipeline. And what's interesting about that is I was like, I realized that the more uncomfortable you are, the more likely you've hit 
the bound, like you've entered into audacity. Like you've got to be pretty uncomfortable. And then you're like, okay, I'm probably getting close or I'm there. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about that discomfort is we think that it's going to last longer than it does. Oftentimes that feeling of discomfort is really only a couple seconds after you push the send button or like asking for that phone call or like it's so temporary that I think it kind of ties back to emotional regulation, right? Like the more we can emotionally regulate the discomfort of being audacious, the more we can get beyond it and just do the thing and be like, hey, I'm going to be okay no matter what. So what if I'm a little cringy? So what if somebody thinks I'm too audacious or too loud or too demanding or whatever it is? Like the chances of getting this thing are going to be zero unless I have a little audacity, right? But I think that that pain or the expectation that that pain is going to be longer than it is might be a reason that we stop ourselves. Yeah, like focus on something else. I'm remembering a part early in my career. So this is like before I had a network, before I had this big support system around me and like a body of work. I was trying to launch this event series for my company called the Master Slam. And it was a bit of a wild idea at the time. Like everyone was either doing a featured speaker or a panel networking event. No one was doing anything at all other than that. Or not no one, but most people. Trish Fontanilla was like the only one doing something interesting. Classic. I love her. She's an audacious person right there. So anyway, so I'm, I'm back in the early days of my career and I'm trying to launch this event and I need like executives to participate in it as judges. And my CMO connected me with the head of this PR company. I think he was the founder of that one, Mark O'Toole. And I had to pitch him this like weird idea and convince someone who's like, I think he was the founder, but he was like, ran a company and a good company that was like well-known in Boston. And I had to like convince him to do this weird thing that was like hard to describe. My focus was on getting him to say yes. I didn't focus on the cringe or the fear or even the audacity of being a nobody and asking this guy to do a thing that was completely unproven and like didn't make a lot of sense. And what was really cool about that is he said yes. He was like, Devin, I don't totally get it but it sounds cool. I'm in. I remember exactly where I was. I was like standing outside of a train station. I was pacing back and forth and I was like determined. I am going to convince this man to say yes. And what's really cool about that is when you focus on what you want on the objective rather than on how you feel in that current moment, it's blinders. And I was full of positive energy. I felt invincible on that call. I wasn't afraid at all. And I think that's a really helpful tool. Get laser focused on what you want. And that does shut out a lot of that unhelpful stuff that slows you down. I think the reframe that I've heard that's really helpful is that anxiety and excitement feel very similar in the body. And so you can reframe in your own brain, like when you're before you give a speech or before you do the thing and you're feeling that thing rather than being like, I am so anxious right now. I'm so anxious. You can reframe it in your own brain. I am so excited about this right now. Like I can feel it in my body. I can feel the momentum. I can feel the energy. And this feeling is excitement, right? And you can almost trick your own brain to think like, of course, I'd be excited right now. Like this is really an exciting moment rather than like, oh my God, I'm so anxious. What is going to happen if I fail, right? And I think that's been really helpful for me to just be like, oh, I'm just excited about this conversation or this possibility. And of course, I'm going to feel these feelings. But like, let me imagine what that possibility is or to your point, the end result and how great that would be. 
the fact that I want that. And all of this right now is just excitement. Yeah. One of my favorite books of all time is A Confederacy of Dunces. And I would say the main character is somewhat despicable, but extremely audacious. And I'm rereading it right now. And then that made me think of other authors and artists of their time who were audacious in their art and their writing and how much people hated and rejected them and how legendary they became. I don't think all ways of being audacious will... Most of the time, it doesn't lead to that. Yeah, going back to that LinkedIn post, like, "Mm, maybe cross the line. Yeah, exactly. But in the way that those authors and artists cross the line, push the boundaries of the norms, they change the world. And day to day, the audacity that you deploy is not going to change the world. (laughs) No, and it doesn't need to. It just needs to change yours, right? Ooh, that's going to be a little quote, a little clip quote. It doesn't have to change the world. It just has to change yours. Yeah, that is the world. And so why not make it a good world? And I was thinking about this whole idea of like nothing is inherently audacious. Like you have to make it. It's a decision. It's basically like whatever cultural norms there are, you're taking a slightly different path or like you're forking in the path or you're changing what the path looks like a little bit. But that's the stuff that gets you noticed. Yeah. God, there's so much to unpack there. I think that audacity comes with action. Right. And I think nothing is inherently audacious because anything that just exists isn't the action of creation. Audacity happens through that action of creation or that action of request or desire or whatever it is. It is like a forward moving thing. And then I think the other thing is like, yeah, it makes so much sense, I think. And especially when we bring this back specifically to like B2B marketing. I think the thing that we've seen and the thing that we've talked about so much on this podcast is like everyone just codified all of B2B marketing into these playbooks. Then everyone's operating out of the same B2B marketing playbooks and it all looks the same and nobody has the audacity to do anything different because you got to build the correct thing that's going to work. And so everyone builds the whole funnel into webinar series, into demand gen program, into BDR sales motion. And I think that's the piece of it too, right? Is like if you're willing to break the mold, if you're willing to be slightly different, it's also really helpful in marketing when everything looks the same for you to be an audacious marketer. Like, let's just do something a little different. Yeah. And what's interesting is there's like another side of that. What you just said is sort of a bridge to, which is you may be a marketer fully ready to be audacious in your approach, but then you have to convince your boss. Well, sometimes, sometimes you can just go do it and ask for forgiveness. True. But like, if we're talking about audacity, like whatever structure you feel trapped in, whatever beliefs that you've decided are true, obviously they're based on actions or things that have happened that might suggest that, but you've sort of reinforced it by deciding like all future actions based on that thing and kind of imprisoned yourself in your own structure. It's like, what if you just pretended that none of that structure existed and came out a situation in a way that you think would be effective? And maybe that means pitching the CEO in a funny way or taking them out to lunch or whatever it is. But it's like, first, you have to kind of get them to see that it's all made up. Then you can get them excited about saying, like, don't break anything. You're not breaking anything because nothing exists. So just go think about something to do and do it. I know. It sounds a little stonery, but it's so true. It's like none of it exists. So just go build a thing. It's so funny. Okay, two things. This came up. After I feel like you and I talked about this maybe a while ago, it was coming up a lot more. I think in last season, maybe we had an episode slightly about the idea that like 
that's the thing that happens is like CEOs build organizational structures thinking, oh, this is flexible. This is malleable. This is just for right now. And especially people with very binary thinking or that grew up in very authoritative environments then get into the structure and they're like, this is unmovable. This is forever. This hierarchy or reporting structure or whatever exists. But it came up the other day, too, and it, it's so funny because it was with a CEO and I was reminding the CEO that that's often the case, right, is like that some people just operate within an organizational structure and think it's more codified because of their own personal history with hierarchy or immovability or whatever it might be. And then that second piece, the stonery piece of like none of it exists and you have to be able to see a vision and a path in the future that doesn't exist right now in order to like have it be a possibility. You have to be able to imagine an alternative outcome in order for you to then strive towards that alternative outcome. And that's creativity, right? The more creative you can be around what it could possibly look like one day then gives you the pathway to build it towards that rather than just being like, I don't know, whatever happens to me is going to happen, right? Or like, I'll just take the next opportunity that I see rather than like, what would it really look like if it was the perfect opportunity or the perfect marketing program that I could run or the perfect thing? And then I can find the data points to get there or the next path to get there. But if it's just like, you're just looking for that next best thing on the reality periphery, you're only going to have that like kind of linear step function rather than like the exponential, like, oh, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to skip all the steps to get there. It's limited. Reality is limiting, whereas imagination is infinite. And I would argue that the point of view that nothing exists, there are no rules or structure, embracing the idea that like there's no structure and there's no sort of inherent correctness is the mindset of an inventor. Yeah. A founder, right? Like founders feel this way. Founders are inventors and they never should have been given permission to run companies, in my opinion. That's another thing. But like it is, it's really, it is an inventor's mindset because those are the people that change the world because they're willing to do something without a guaranteed outcome. They don't know what works. And that's the one thing in my life that has consistently brought me not just success, but like respect in places I didn't know I even had it. And what's really interesting is that some people will hear this and be like, oh, that's so woo woo or whatever. The CEOs that I work with who are doing well, which is all of them, like the people that I work with, they're doing really well. And it's like, that is 100% of what I'm doing. They're coming to me and they're like, Devin, what should I do about this? How should I structure that? All of the time I'm saying, what are your circumstances? What do you have at your, you know, et cetera. What's going to work for this right now? Not like, oh, let me pull out my old dusty ass playbook. Not even a playbook. They're like looking out into the world. You know, one of them was like, I need to hire an HR person. I was like, okay, let's unpack that. You have 15 people at your company. Tell me why you think you need HR and exploring other ways. And it's like, that is all I do with CEOs that help unlock them so exponentially as I get them out of that, the shoulds, all that limiting reality stuff and start get them thinking for themselves. The way that they always have and always want to do, right? And I think what you're touching on is the other dynamic on the opposite side of audacity is this human need for safety and predictability. And if you can get comfortable with the idea that that's an illusion, that your predictability, that like whatever either course of life you think you're on or like all of that thing doesn't actually exist, the safety and security that you're trying to hold on to by not being audacious, that's actually not even true. Yeah. And you can put structure on your audacity. So like 
Say you are that marketer. Emotional regulation. (laughs) No, it's not that at all. Well, I was going back to the LinkedIn thing, like a little emotional regulation in that LinkedIn post might have been audacious enough. Like that's a whole separate thing. What I'm talking about is it's right now today and your boss is really bought in on SEO, distribution through branded social, and like just the standard stuff. And based on the information that you have in the company that you're in, you see other ways that could be more effective and you want to try them. And some of them look audacious, right? They look big and hairy and they wouldn't necessarily, if presented, get buy-in. They wouldn't get buy-in because they include a lot of unknowns. You can sell that by bringing that to the forefront and saying, listen, I know this idea seems harebrained, but let me show you. Here's one sentence why like you can really show a few examples of potential impact, put a box around the experiment, acknowledge that it is, and say, look, I'm asking you to let me try this because I think this will have exponential and more immediate impact or whatever your statement is. Like, give me the trust to do this for this period of time and let me prove it to you or prove myself wrong. Whatever that idea is, it's not going to take 40 hours a week. So it's not like you're asking to like switch all, you're like, I want 10 hours a week to add this to the thing and whatever. And, you know, I want to take that 10 hours from this other thing that already isn't working. So can we please stop? Do you have any like closing thoughts on how it's been going so far? It's been a month that you've had this sort of thing. Is there any kind of like early takeaways that you're experiencing that you think are helpful? Yeah. Well, I'll tell a personal short story. (laughs) I had the audacity to turn down a CMO role of an organization that I highly respect, really liked, am interested. It's at a pivotal point that is growing, but needs to do really interesting things in terms of product and marketing strategy in order to stay relevant. Like It was tailored fit for a lot of the things that I put on my list, but I had the audacity to remain solo and independent because those were the things that I was valuing more than the title or going in-house or even just an, an interesting opportunity. And I think that it was one of those moments where like my own relationship with audacity was tested. It was really scary to be like, I'm going to do that. It almost felt like, who am I? That's the thing that I kept going back to in my brain of like, who are you to turn this down? And that was that refrain in my head where I'm like, well, that's why I need to lean into it this year and double down on it because I still have this voice in the back of my head that says, who are you to be this audacious? Who are you to have this boundary? Who are you to say that your own independence and flexibility with your schedule is more important than these other things that a lot of other people would think is important, a title, a full-time role, healthcare. <laughs> Known future. Benefits. <laughs> well, I think the one thing that I think a lot of women can relate to specifically is you had the audacity to know that you're worth more than the offer that you were given. And that like 90% right isn't right sometimes. Like 80 to 90% right isn't right. Okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great. 30% of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know, you know which side you're on this week. You know. (laughs) You know.
see you next week. Bye. Bye. Why does that happen? I didn't think it happened in Riverside. Like, did you thumbs up me? No. Did you thumbs up? No. That happened the last time and I was like, what? Also, let's wrap it up. Oh, shit. It's 301. Yeah, yeah, yeah.